Good morning again, church. It is, as I said this morning, wonderful to be back with you. I was here with you, I think, about a year ago, and wonderful to have my family back with you, and thank you for allowing my kids to sing. Uh, hopefully they were on key and didn't put anyone else off on that. They do <laughs> like to sing loudly. I think they get that from their mom, not as much me. But, but I'll, in all honesty, thank you so much for allowing us to be back with us today. You can be turning to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, the ending of uh, this poem, really, this song that we find in Isaiah will be our text, starting with verse 27. Uh, We will start there and we will read through the end of the chapter. So Isaiah chapter 40, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, should be very close to what you have there, hopefully in your hands. Let's read Isaiah Chapter 40, 27 through 31 together. This is the word of the living God. And it reads as follows. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we are grateful to be here again this morning. We pray that our very breath does praise the Lord as we were just reminded, as we were just admonished in song, Lord, to do just that. So Lord, let us praise you now. Let us worship you now through your word. Lord, speak through me, your servant, this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you have ever seen something truly amazing? Something that just awestruck you, like that you could not even put into words how amazing it was. Maybe uh, you have heard this phrase before, it was a sight to behold, or maybe you've said it. Maybe you've gone to the Grand Canyon and you step off to the edge and your toes are over the edge of it and you're looking out at this great chasm, this great canyon, and you, you just say, my goodness, this is a sight to behold. Or maybe you go to a concert and you hear the the great Italian opera singer Andre Bocelli in concert and you go back to your friends. You would not believe how beautiful this is. It's a sight to behold. Maybe you're at a national championship game and your team wins and you're all happy and excited about it. And it's truly just something amazing to see. All of these things could indeed be a sight to behold, but what we find here in Isaiah is something completely different when the prophet tells his readers and tells us today to behold something greater than any great singer, greater than men, greater than games, greater than a landscape that we see. Right here, five times in Isaiah 40, we read the word behold, which means to cast your gaze upon, to look at what I'm about to say. Verse 9, he says, Behold your God. Verse 10, Behold the Lord comes with might. Behold his reward is with him. Verse 15, Behold the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Behold he takes up the coastlands 
like fine dust. Isaiah is drawing the reader's eyes and ears to something that is truly noteworthy to cast their gaze upon. He is drawing them to look at the greatness of God. And it is something truly worth beholding. If you know anything about the book of Isaiah, you know the first 39 chapters really have to do with Judah being led into exile. They're being prepared to go into exile for uh, various sins against the Lord that he had warned them and warned them, sent prophet after prophet, and they would not listen. But in chapter 40, there's a turning point. We see that not only, yes, he is going to take them into exile, he is going to chasten the one whom he loves, his bride, his people, but he is also not rejecting them, that he is going to bring them out as well, that he is going to restore them. So here in chapter 40... Isaiah is writing this poem, this song, if you will, reminding his people, yes, you are going into exile, but the Lord will bring you back again. He is the Lord. And he is the one who will give you the strength not just to return, but also to live in this land that you are going to be foreigners in. He is going to tell them that he is not just the creator, He's not just the sustainer, but he is their intimate God who cares for them and will give them all that they need. This is a reminder that I believe that we all sometimes need. Maybe you're here today and you need this reminder yourself. Because we know that God is creator, we know that he is sustainer, we know that he is sovereign over all things, but sometimes when we are in the depths of a very difficult trial or situation, it may feel like he is far from you personally, intimately. So this morning, I believe we too need to behold our God. And we need to see that God gives strength to those to whom behold him. He gives strength to those who recognize their weakness before him. And God gives strength to those who wait upon him. So those will be our three major headings, three major points today that we will be looking at. First, in verses 27 through 29, we are to behold the strength of God. Let me read these words again. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? So we need to behold him in our strength, even when it might seem he is distant from us. Verse 27, we see the, uh, the response really to a question that Israel, some of the people of Judah, was having of God. And we see this in a way of question and really answer. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Judah had thought that the Lord somehow had forgotten him, but even in the question... He is reminding them who they are. My way is hidden from you. But he says, O Jacob, O Israel, you should not be thinking this way. These names that I'm, I'm saying here, these are covenant names that I have for you. Intimate names that I have for you. Saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. Lord being Yahweh, that intimate covenant name of God saying, you seem far from us. And he says, no, Jacob, Israel, 
He invokes these names to remind them of who they are to him. They ask, why are you not acting on our behalf? Where is the justice, Lord? Have you hidden yourself from us? But they were asking their own question. They were asking really in in a way of lament, yet the prophet is about to tell them that their thinking is all wrong. That their thinking is all wrong. Having an improper perspective is often our problem as well. We look at situations and things that we're going through and we ask God, why me? Why me? Well, often the answer is it may be something that we have done that the Lord is responding to uh, and chastening us. But it may just be that he has you in that situation because he's planning to do something through you or in you because of it. When things are not going well, it's easy to think God is not for you. When in a difficult station in life, in a difficult season in life, to think that God is somehow against me. These things can even creep into some of the the greatest Christians in the world. I mean, you you had Spurgeon and different ones that struggled with depression and and different things in their lifetime. That it's easy to allow those things to creep in, the old man to creep in, that, that flesh to creep in. But this is wrong thinking if we are children of God, because we know what the Scripture t- teaches us. And Isaiah here in verse 28 affirms Yahweh's concern about this situation. What is going on with his people, Judah? He's going to confirm this by focusing on the nature of God. He says, remember who your God is. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable so the prophet here opens with two questions they're questioning God's goodness here they're questioning God's greatness here and he responds have you not known have you not heard you should know this you are the people of God who have the oracles of God given to you you should remember this you should know this course this is a rhetorical question that he's these questions that he's asking to provoke humility to provoke remembrance of God's people just like at the end of Job we we see these questions Job where were you when I stretched out the 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 sky where were you when I hung the stars Job where were you okay God I remember I wasn't there you're God, I'm not. So this, this is the type of question that Isaiah is trying to question his people. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And Isaiah is going to remind them here with five truths of who God is. Just as a reminder, you've heard, you've known, you know these things. So first, he's going to say, he is eternal. The Lord is the everlasting God. Yahweh, your covenant God, the one who loves you and called you and created you. He's always been and he always will be. Do you not remember our great king? What did he write in Psalm 90? Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is an eternal God. He wasn't created. He wasn't made by the hands of man. He is the everlasting eternal God. By this time, they should have known this. Before there, were time, before there was time, he was there. 
before the fourth day of creation and all the lights and everything was regulated in those 24-hour days. He was there. There's a reason that he is called the Ancient of Days. Before there were ever days, he was there. The everlasting God. What a comfort that should be to us, church, that he is an everlasting God, that the Lord is sovereign over all of time. If we believe that he is eternal, that means that he's not just wasn't just there in the past and just not going to be in the future, but he's with us now. He's eternal. He's everlasting. And we can rest in that truth. Secondly, we see that he is sovereign creator. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. Not only is God sovereign over time, but he is also sovereign over space. Everything he created. Remember again the psalmist. What did he write in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and the world and all those who dwell therein. He's sovereign creator. He created it all. He stretched out his arms and he hung the constellations. He spoke, let there be light and there was light. When 185,000 Assyrians were encamped around the people of God, getting ready to slaughter the people of God, the angel of the Lord came and wiped them all out. He is sovereign creator. He has sovereign protection for his people. He is over it all and he is in all. When King Uzziah became a proud and puffed up man, what did the Lord do? He struck him with leprosy until his dying days. So when the scripture says he's the creator of the ends of the earth, that means he reigns over everything. He reigns over it all. That means that he can be with us no matter where we are at, and he's in control of everything. From the cloud-filled tops of the beautiful Andes Mountains, He's there. They are His. The depths of the ocean, they are His. The hottest place on the planet, Florida, it is His. And the coldest place on the planet as well, His. It's all His and everything in between. So you have been wrongly accused, maybe. Maybe someone has slandered your name. You were thrown into court for something that you didn't even do. Don't think that the Lord has left you. The Lord is with you. Just like he was sovereign over King Artaxerxes when the Lord used him to preserve his people because the wicked Haman was going to try to wipe them out. The Lord was there protecting his people, being with his people. There's no need to fear that God is going to abandon you because he's promised he will never do that. He created all of us. He sustains all of us. Jesus sustains us. So we can trust him. God can be trusted at all times since he is eternal. He can be trusted in all places because he is sovereign over all space. But third, we see that he is also omnipotent. He does not faint or grow weary. He does not faint or grow weary. Imagine with me for a moment a situation where you're worshiping a God and that God is tired because he's gone on a long journey. He needs to come back and rest or like Elijah was mocking the prophets of Baal saying, your God must be in the bathroom. You need to shout a little louder for him to hear you. Right? Imagine having a God like that. Is that the type of God you want to worship? No. You want a God who is there at every moment when you're crying out, Lord, I need your help. 
Are you near? And he is near. But have you ever stopped to think that there's something that God doesn't do? Of course, we'd say he doesn't sin, but what does the, the prophet say here? Though he is busy being sovereign over everything, every molecule in the world, in the cosmos, everywhere, it says he does not grow faint. Though he is from eternity past, it says he does not grow weary. He is never fatigued. Though he is in charge of the billions and billions of stars, and every time the Big Dipper comes out, he's still there. He's holding it together. He does not grow weary. He never becomes exhausted. Though he's listening to the prayers of the millions and millions and millions of people, it seems like you have a, a captive audience when it's just you praying, and everyone else is praying feels the same way. He does not grow faint. He does not grow weary. He is not fatigued. There's nothing too big for God to handle. Nothing too big. Not Judah going into exile, because ultimately he sent them there, but he's going to be with them. As I, minute, uh, as I mentioned a minute, minute ago, nothing's too big for God. Not when the angry Agagite Haman again was trying to wipe the people of God off the earth. God was there, he was all powerful, foiling his plans. Nor will he faint or grow weary when we ask of a request either. Whatever your Babylonian captivity situation is right now, he'll take care of it. Whoever your Haman is that's seemingly persecuting you and coming after you and has it in for you, there's no issue for an omnipotent God. Fourth, we see that he's also omniscient. His understanding is unsearchable. God is not just able, but he is also knows exactly what to do and what is needed at the precise time. Isaiah yet again could have pointed to the Psalms to say, Do you not remember King David's words here? Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Oh, Jacob, don't you know that the Lord knows it all? He knows your plight. He knows your heart. Don't think that this exile is simply a punishment, though it was. God had a bigger plan in all of this. He had a much more grand picture than you do. God has you there for a reason. He has you there for a purpose. So as Jim Elliott would say, while you're there, be all there. He's all wise. He's all knowing. So when we behold our God, the giver of strength, we should find verse 29 immense comfort. Because we can rest in knowing that he has all the details of life worked out. We can rest assured that Romans 8.28 is actually true. That he's working all things together for our good. So not only is God omnipotent and omniscient, we see he's also omnibenevolent. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
is the giver of wonderful gifts such as strength, as we read here. Since God never faints, he can give power when it is needed. The exile should have known this. He both sees their plight and will give the power to restore them, to keep them while they are there, and to bring them back when it is the appointed time. They should have remembered how God gave Samson the power when he needed it. How he restored Elijah when he had grown faint as well. They needed to remember what God had already done so that they could trust in the promises that he would still be with them and strengthen them if they would but behold him. To truly benefit from God's power, one must first recognize their own weakness before him. I read a story about Muhammad Ali after a boxing match. He had won and he got on the airplane and he was up there strutting his stuff, floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee, putting a little show on for the people in the airplane. And the stewardess comes up to him and says, Champ, it's time to sit down and buckle up, please. He just kind of looks at her with, with a look and just turns around and keeps doing his own thing. And a couple minutes later, she comes back and says, Champ, we really need you to put your seatbelt on. And, in which he replied, Do you know who I am? I'm Superman. Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. To which she replied, Champ, you're right, but Superman didn't need a plane either. So you need to sit down and buckle up. <laughs> the Lord isn't impressed with the proud. But however, he will strengthen the humble. The late Rich Mullins, one of my favorite singers from the last 30 or 40 years, he wrote this words, these words. He said, we are not as strong as we think we are. All it takes is one phone call, one knock at the door, and a police officer standing there, and your heart sinks. A surprise meeting, a glance at your phone, and then you look up, and you didn't realize that you're careening off the side of a road doesn't take very long to realize that when life punches you in the gut, we are not as strong as we think we are. We need the strength of the Lord. We need the strength of the Lord. And the prophet reminds his people of this in verse 30. It says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. We need to behold the weakness of men. Even the energy of the young cannot be sustained. This is what he says. Even the youth shall faint and grow weary. Young men often like to flaunt their strength. If you don't believe me, go down to any Florida beach sometime between June and July and see if they're not out there trying to flaunt their so-called strength. Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of a young man is his strength. Yet we read here, Even the youth shall faint. Even the youth shall faint. The young warriors of Israel were no match for the giant of Gath until God gave a young man who trusted in him the strength to overcome him. Even David's mighty warriors, maybe the greatest warriors on the planet ever, had to rest. Now maybe some of you had sons like mine that when they were young they knew two speeds. Full on or asleep. Those are the only two speeds that they knew. And I wish at that point in time, I wish I could just bundle that energy up and sell it on Etsy or Amazon somewhere because I'd be a millionaire if we could just bundle that up. But the truth is, at the end of the day, after they had run and they had run and they had run and they had run, they were tired and they needed rest. And mom and dad needed the rest as well. 
But even the young men, even a 21, 22, 23-year-old who feels like they can burn the candle on both ends, even they have to rest as well. And it's a reminder of our need for strength. But the people of God could rest. See, knowing that they didn't have to depend on their own strength to fight the good fight of the, uh, that the Lord would fight for them, this would allow them to rest. That the mighty man like Samson, that though he could fight for them, that there was one who was mightier, one who was greater, one who would not grow faint, one that would not grow weary, a greater warrior, a greater deliverer would come. And they could rest in him to always win the battle and to give them the strength that they would need. One who would not ever fail them. We must recognize our weakness. Paul makes this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Realizing that when you are weak, then you can be made strong. When you are not trying to live within your own power, do it your own way, but you are trusting in the Lord, you are resting in the Lord for Him to do what He has promised to do and not trying to do it on your own, that is when you can become strong, is when you become weak. Because He will give us our strength. So when you are exhausted, parents, from trying to deal with a rebellious teenager, weak after week after week, fall under the arms of the one that will give you the strength to continue on. When you have been fighting to keep your marriage healthy, trying to keep it from falling apart, look up and take strength in the Lord. When you are just flat, worn out from a hard, long week and you seem like you've got nothing left to give but there's still weak in your week that you have to go on remember that he gives power to the faint when we behold him when we look to him when we trust in him and finally we need to behold the blessings of God in verse 31 but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To be blessed, we need to rest. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. This means not relying on your own strength. At this time, false prophets were coming in and they were trying to tell the people of God, don't settle down don't plant gardens and build houses and don't marry off your children we're not going to be here long we are going to return Babylon is going to fall and we're going to return and this was not what God was saying read the prophet Jeremiah and you can read some of these things that were going on and God dealt with those false prophets by killing them he said no you are going to be here you listen to me you're going to be here a while and you need to understand that so wait on me. Don't try to get ahead of God. Wait on him and do what you know is faithful and true. Do what is clear in scripture and wait until he tells you to do something different. Continue to be faithful with what he's given us. Be faithful in the little and he will reveal what else he wants you to do when the time comes. To be blessed by God 
they were to wait on him to deliver them. They weren't to try to make this themselves. They weren't to go to war with Babylon. This is not what they were supposed to do. No, I have you here for a purpose, for a time, for a season. So wait until I do what I said I was going to do. Be faithful while you're here. But wait for me. Don't try to do your own thing. Wait for me. He's saying, I will deliver my people physically. He was going to return them. And you read in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. You see that those things are true. They were faithful. They were right. I will have you back in your homeland. But when we just turn the pages over a few more pages to Isaiah 53, he had something greater than a physical deliverance prepared for them. He was going to send himself. He was going to send Jesus Christ to wrap himself in flesh and to come tent with a man so that he could take the stripes for us. He was going to deliver them spiritually, eternally. So he says, wait. Trust me. Rest in me. And the reminder, or in the remainder of this verse, Isaiah is going to explain the benefits of those who wait to those who behold him. First, he says that he will cause your strength to be renewed. To renewed means to renovate, to, um, to rebuild, to repair, to restore. He's saying, I'm going to restore these things. I know you've been down. I know it's hard. You're, you're in exile. You're away from home. But I, you wait on me. You trust in me. You behold me. I will renew your strength. I will renew your vigor to continue on in me. Similar to maybe taking, renewing your wedding vows where it renews you to continue to love your spouse and to care for them, to live with your wife in an understanding way, to respect your husband. When you, when you renew those vows, it's a reminder of what we made this covenant for to begin with. He's saying, I will renew you. It will help you to be reinvigorated. It will help give you the strength to carry on. But not only will he renew your strength, he says, he will cause you to be mount up with wings like eagles. Now, an eagle, if you know anything about an eagle, it has no natural known predators. There's nothing really that is going to attack an eagle. It can really do its own thing. It uh, can spread its wings and it can glide and it can fly and go anywhere it wants without any real fear. So what God, I believe, is saying here through the prophet is that the Lord will give you that kind of confidence to live in a world, to live in a world where you do not have to fear man. When you fear God and you behold him and, and you rest in him, you will not have to fear. This should be a comfort to us. This should give us strength to carry on, to push on, to continue to, to fight the good fight of working for the Lord and the kingdom of God. He will cause you to mount up wings like eagles. Then he says, he will cause you to run and not grow weary. Judah was going to be away from home for over a hundred years. They were going to be away from their homeland as they go back the, and they would start the, their pilgrimage back. It would take time to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls, and to do all this stuff and for all the people of God to come out of the Babylonian captivity and the Persian uh, captivity and take them back to their homeland. It was going to take them time. So he's saying, you need endurance. And I will allow you to run and not grow weary when you wait on me and you behold me. I will allow you to do that. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. There's hills and there's valleys. There's times where it feels like you can't go on anymore. And there's other times when it just feels like you're gaining your strength. You're gaining your legs back. You're, you're getting nourishment. You, you're getting what you need. 
but relying on the Lord will give you the strength to continue to press forward in the Lord. He says, I will give you that. I will allow you to run the race that is marked out before you and not grow weary in that race. And then he says that he will cause us to walk and not faint. And this is because the Lord is sustaining us. and He is nourishing us. In our daily walk, when we wait and rely on him, he will provide all that we need to become mature in Christ. Giving us the spirit of God and the word of God. Access to the throne room of God in prayer and the church for the building up of one another. He's given us all that we need to run and not grow faint. When you have a sudden trial, if you wait on the Lord, he will mount you up like an eagle. Maybe you're in a season of chronic pain. If you wait on the Lord, he will give you endurance to run and not grow weary in doing good. This is what we see here. Maybe it is just the day-to-day struggle of balancing work and family and ball and practice and this and that and the other. You behold him. You wait on him. You fear him. He will allow you to walk and not faint. But notice the progression here. Mount up, run, walk. It almost seems like it's a bit of a strange order, doesn't it, when he says this? When the prophet is saying this, I believe he's almost giving us a picture of like a child. A child, when he's first learning to walk, he stands up, maybe pulls himself up or pulls herself up, and he's standing there, kind of wobbly leg there for a moment. And he falls down. And the mom or dad comes over there and mounts him back up, picks him up, mounts him back up, gives him the strength to, to, to get back up and to, to get back at it. Safe without fear. Then the, the little toddler learns to, to do a little bit more, can stand up. And what do they often do? They, they start running a little bit and they fall down. Mom goes over and picks them up, mounts them back up, stands them back up. They learn to run a little bit more and they fall down. They go back over and the cycle continues eventually the, the toddler learns to walk and mom's not having to mount them back up anymore and they're able to just walk and mature like a natural child should. When we mature in Christ, we should be able to walk as he strengthens us more so that he's not having to mount us up every time we have a issue, every time we have a Uh, a problem here the point of being mounted up is that we learn to walk in his strength we learn to walk in his strength this is what we see many probably seasoned saints in here that have gone through those seasons of difficulty and you look to them and you think how on earth did you get through that well the lord mounted me up he gave me the strength and i've learned to walk in the maturity of christ all the while knowing that if I do indeed fall again, the Lord is still there to mount me back up again. But the Lord is there. I believe this is what he's saying here. It's that maturing process. 
knowing that the, if we rest in him, he will give us the strength, he will give us the maturity to walk on faithfully with the Lord. This is what Isaiah is telling Judah. This is really what this poem, I believe, is reminding us, is taking us again from the first 39 chapters saying you are, this is why you're going into exile to, oh, I will be with you and I will bring you out. It's this, this poem, this, this reminder. The same God who did that for them and we can look back and we can trace it out that he was faithful. He was a strength uh, provider. He did amount, uh, allow them to faint and not grow uh, or allow them not to faint and not grow weary. We can trace it out. We can see it in, in history. And the same God who did that for them is the same God who can do that for us today. Most of our modern day poets are songwriters now, nowadays. Now, for those of you here on the radio, many of them are not God-fearers. They are not people who, who trust in the Lord, who are being mounted up by the Lord. But in the verse that we read in Corinthians earlier, Paul actually quotes a pagan poet and it makes it into the Holy Scriptures here. And so I'm going to do the same uh, just to close out here. So excuse me if I overstep my place here. I'm not meaning to, uh, to, to do that, but I believe it gives a very good image of what the Lord does in these words from this song. I want you to imagine that you are in a season of difficulty. You are in just a hard time. And you hear these words come from the Lord. So, Adam, that's me, insert your name here. And you hear the tender Lord say these words to you. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. I'm on your side when times get rough. And friends just can't be found. When you're down and out, when you're on the street, when everything falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part. When darkness come and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay you down. Friends, that's exactly what God did for us. He laid himself down for us. And we can now, because he sent his son who said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so that we can behold him, so that we can have strength through him. The God who uh, took steps down out of heaven and took on the flesh of the man and lived a sinless life and died a vicarious death. He has came for us and laid his life down for his people. And the benefit of that is that when we look to him and him alone, he will give us the strength we need to carry on. He bids us to come to him. And he promises that he will never leave us. That he will never forsake us. And we know that his promises are faithful and true. Not just because there are in our lives, but we can trace it back through the holy scriptures that everything that he's ever said has come to fruition. So this is why we need a reminder to behold our God. Because we so often are frail 
we so often do faint. We so often do grow weary. We need his comfort. We need his strength. So Grace Community Church, let me close by asking you just a few questions. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. Are you growing faint? Go to the one who does not grow faint. Are you growing weary? Go to the one who does not grow weary. Are you looking and searching for answers that you just don't seem to be able to find? Go to the one whose understanding is unsearchable. For in him you will discover a reservoir that will never run dry. So church, behold your God and he will give you the strength that you need let's pray Lord God we are grateful and thankful that this truth Lord oh, such a wonderful truth that I know that I need to be reminded of Lord we can wrangle about theological questions Lord we can think about the deep things which is so important for us to do Lord God but we need just the normal everyday relationship with you to look to you to give us the strength we need to keep on keeping on Lord we don't want to just survive this race that we're in Lord we want to thrive in it so Lord let us behold you let us follow you let us rest in you let us wait on you and not try to get ahead of you God be faithful in what you called us to and wait until you say to move. Lord God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our service singing only holy.